role models. Our stupid society talks a lot about the need for good, wholesome, inspiring role models, especially for boys, because we unconsciously assume those are the ones who are going to grow up to be something. But who do we want our young men to be? What are the ideals of American manhood? Vegetarianism and cunnilingus. Two great tastes that taste great together. But for real, out in regular America, what are those ideals? Well, they're all lunk-headed goat shit. Cartoonish invincibility fantasies for a corrupt, decaying empire that worships power for its own sake, devoid of responsibility or consequences. Sports, action movies, comic books, all our most resonant popular narratives right now emanate from the same martial warrior culture that idealizes super-masculine dominance. We're addicted to heroism, and we especially venerate the ones who get to do violence. If it's all in the name of protecting and defending, that means it's okay and we're still the good guys. Every nutjob mass shooter in his own mind is the totally justified, violent good guy of his own Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Manly men often think of themselves as superheroes and are continually shocked to learn, usually too late, that they're just human beings, and limitations apply to them too. Now, plenty of men do understand that they're not invincible, and this is where our dumb shit middle school-ass culture fails to provide any realistic visions of manhood. Men are so desperate for an even mildly attainable role model that Jordan Peterson, a psychology professor at the University of Toronto who hates political correctness, spent last year making 50 grand a month in Patreon donations for telling dudes to clean their rooms and shower more often. So guys, we kind of really missed the boat on that uh, on that gambit. But then you you have to hate political correctness. Yeah, but we could have just spent like the whole podcast telling dudes to clean their rooms and shower more often. That's I, true. I, I feel like I, feel I like have JD. no moral authority to do that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. and I feel like JD spends a lot of his day telling little little versions of himself to do that. That's true. Um, but Steve, I'm curious, what is this this uh, love orchestra, love unlimited orchestra's love theme? Uh, this song we're listening to now have to do with all this. Is it possibly because in 1974 the song went to number one on the charts only to be ripped of its crown as the only hit instrumental of the year by Soul Train theme, which hit number one months later? So Barry White got a hero's revenge by swinging his dick into the Soul Train set with his entire 40-piece orchestra and costing Don Cornelius a small fortune in production costs? Why, that's an excellent question, J.D., and it's a really good history you've provided here. But the main reason is that it's proto-disco. It's, it's, it's one of the, like, the first disco tracks. Okay. And disco is an unmanly music about fucking. All right. Despite Barry White's involvement and Barry White having a big dick and a deep voice and all that, you notice that he's not on this track. It's all his people doing it. But he's, he's, his manly presence is, is missed. This, or is it missed? This one's not manly enough for me. I'm going to take a step back and let you pussy-ass orchestra people take care of it. Oh, yeah. They they were playing this live while he had sex with a woman. <laughs> yeah, this is where he took a break to fuck. Oh. Women. Yeah. It was, it was, it was going to be like being one of those big, round, heart-shaped beds, probably, because it was the 70s. And it spun. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it definitely turned around. And there were bubbles. Yes. And rose Ew. petals. What what kind of bubbles? You know bubbles? Oh, like bubbles blowing in Oh, the yeah. Forever blowing bubbles? Did you ever meet my friend Bubbles? 
<laughs> the chimp? Yeah. All right, sorry, Steve. We're interrupting the rant zone. <laughs> I'll take you back to the right zone now. So, but it's not just it's not just loser dudes who are, who need role models, and that's what brings me into this unmanly fuck music. Like, okay, say hypothetically that you're a top-tier soft rock web series host who just turned 40, and you finally want to cut your sweet long hair off. All right, pause, yep. pause. Yeah, a lot uh, of things wrong with that. Hold on, hold on. Top-tier uh, webisode or top-tier host? Top-tier soft rock web series host. If you need a soft uh, so rock web series wait, host, what so is you're top tier. Or, okay, is, this hypothetical is, host is top tier. Yes. Okay, great. Because okay. there aren't that many soft rock right. web series okay. hosts. Okay, got it. So this guy is definitely in the top tier. Continue. Uh, and, and this top tier host has sweet hair. Yeah, okay, so yes. he's 40. Sweet long hair. And wants to cut his sweet long hair off. Continue. Right, yeah. Let's say he wants to like change up his look and get laid more often, and maybe by, maybe by people who don't recognize him. But let's say... Ooh. Let's say that you, this hypothetical web series host, let's say you're not super high on the masculinity scale, either outside or inside. So what should you be changing to? This is a tough question to answer without role models who help remind both you and your potential fuck partners of the rare occasions when your defining attributes are seen as positive. So, here's the question that inspired today's genre. If you're a dude that some people don't even recognize as a dude, even after you got your haircut, where do you find your role models for how to present yourself attractively? Where's the dang road map? How many gas stations are there between here and Confidence City? What the hell is sexy about any human dude? What do women want other than to watch the movie What Women Want, starring Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt? Well... I still have no idea how to look, act, or feel sexy, but I found the type of music that knows. It's a swooning, swirling, grinding kind of thing, and no matter how sleazy it gets, it is never, ever macho. Thank God. It's a very specific feeling I'm trying to pinpoint here, kind of like the ache, except it's about being horny instead of depressed. So I'm going to call this one the slink. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, the only podcast on the internet that creates a new musical genre every week and sort of whenever we have an episode and we count it down from 10 to 1. The best songs in that, we count them down. I've never have gotten, we got a few episodes left, I've never gotten that phrase smooth. I should write it down in a good way. Why start now? My name is J.D. Riznar. I'm Dave and I'm the captain this week. (laughs) I'm Hollywood Steve, taking you out of the right zone. I'm Dave Hunter. Uh, and uh, because we're the guys who invented the term yacht rock, that's right, you're listening to our actual voices. We like to throw a bone to the yacht rock genre, uh, and it was my turn to pick the song, so here's what I'm going to say about what we're listening to. Better uh, say something about it. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes argue that when a song is stuck in a groove, uh, giving it more of a, like a smooth funk, it lacks a certain something to get it on the yacht rock boat. But this song helped me realize what that certain something is. What most funky grooves lack is a lack of confidence. This song has venti, no, trente, lack of confidence. This is soulless soul wannabe Starbuck with fool in line. Demonstrating that at the core of any yacht groove is the classic yacht rock avatar, a self-conscious white guy who just can't seem to land the girl. 
And then there's also a marimba solo. That's what the show's about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Starbuck made the boat before uh, with Moonlight Feels Right. It just barely made the boat. And I would love to rate everybody be dancing on the Yacht and Yacht episode sometime. Sometimes <laughs> I feel like... Wait, they what? just tried to be hard to be cool every step of the way. Well, yeah, they? I feel like... Everybody be dancing! I feel like... Oh, come on, guys. Well, I feel like we put Starbuck on the boat because we kind of felt sorry for Do them. Do I know that song, Everybody Be Dancing? Everybody be dancing. Dancing. Dancing tonight. Everybody oh, okay, be yeah, dancing. Yeah. Right. I don't know it, but it sounds great. <laughs> Um, oh, there's that marimba. There it is. There's the great marimba solo. I mean, they want to be cool so bad, but there's nothing about them that even comes close to cool. Um, even Sounds like a Yacht Rock lounge act. Yeah. I, I implore you to look up band photos of these guys. They are trying so, so hard. <laughs> and there's one guy off to the right in every photo that, that looks like uh, sort of your... Your slow cousin with his hair really short and parted down the middle with big woodshop teacher glasses. They just threw a Hawaiian shirt on him. It looks like an <laughs> uncle you were forced to invite to your shitty bachelor party. <laughs> oh, man. So um, even in this song where, like, the verses are really confident, but then the chorus is just kind of like, oh, I'm a fool in line. I guess there's a lot of fellers like you. I'm just going to go stand over there. Um, so... You know, it's kind of like, what do you expect from a rock and roll band who names themselves after a Moby Dick character? Or a Seattle coffee shop that only sold roasted beans in 1977. Uh, fun fact, Starbucks only started selling espresso drinks in 1986. They were like 13 years old and only had six locations. Hmm. Now, they just sell, now they just sell milkshakes uh -huh, yeah. to high school kids. Cake yeah. pops. Um, so this is off an album called Rock and Roll Rocket. These guys <laughs> really wanted to be super cool. <laughs> Rock and Roll Rocket? Yep. Um, wow. And then four years later, a TV show came out for super nerds, and the dumb little robot was called Starbuck? Is that right? Or was it Twinkie? I don't know. There was a Starbuck. Star Galactica. I think Starbuck was the captain. Yeah. Oh. And it was a reference to Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that's a super level of super cool, <laughs> on par with David Bowie and Mick Jagger. <laughs> um, so here's how here's how lame these guys are. How cool they tried to be. One of the founding members is a marimba player, <laughs> which means <laughs> there's two founding members, which means the other dude walked up to him and said, "Hey." <laughs> You play marimba. Want to start a rock band? That usually only works for Julius Wechter. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Julius Wechter and the Baja Marimba Band. <laughs> is that a rock band? Eh, yeah, they're exactly. one of those A and M record staples that like do uh, marimba covers of uh, "Wouldn't You Like to Fly oh. in My Beautiful Balloon." You see, that's different. That's going. Oh. These guys, those guys are lame. Well, if you've let's, ever had let's dinner, let's form a band named after a Moby Dick character and take it up a notch. Well, if you've ever had dinner at my house, you've heard Julius Wechter. Oh, okay. Um, I've definitely had dinner at your house. So, despite the lameness and the marimba, this song features more Fender Rhodes e-piano than, than the marimba. Uh, and it's that e-piano that's really giving it the sound I like for the boat. We're a synthesizer now, but there is electric piano. There it is right there. Um, so, although they're rock... Groove, I'm sorry. This groove just reminded me a little bit of Around the Way Girl by LL Cool J. I don't know. I don't think it's that sample, but that groove sounds a lot like it there. Yeah. It was just registering in my ears. Well, we'll have to play that song when we do the... Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's yeah, a, Around the Way Girl. I love that song. Um, b -b 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 where were we? Okay, so there's a synth flourishes. 
where the solo should come from a hot guitar cutting into the groove. And that's probably because they didn't have a guitar because Steve Lukather was too busy getting blown between sessions in L.A. to waste his time on a trip to Atlanta for these dorks. <laughs> then there's this marimba solo. Oh. This song... Uh, what are we going to get for the solo? A guitar, a saxophone, all I got are these marimbas. What the? No, it's more like this. No, marimbas is like a steel drum, right? Kind of? No, it's like a xylophone. It's like the big wooden bars. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, like yeah. a xylophone type thing. No, here's how it went. A guy came into the studio with a, with an electric guitar and like, well, what the fuck is this? That's a guy who's going to do the guitar solo on Fool in Line. No, you get him the fuck out of here. I'm a founding goddamn member of Starbuck. You understand me? I play the marimba, and we're going to have a marimba solo in this song. You imagine and when they were gigging around in small clubs when they just started, and that guy had to haul around a fucking marimba? <laughs> Those things are the size of a, of a minivan. And, J.D., that's exactly what Kirk Hammett should have done when Metallica <laughs> told him they didn't do guitar solos anymore. Oh, I would geez. love to see a, some kind of monster documentary about Starbuck where they're backstage <laughs> arguing about whether they should still have marimba solos or not. <laughs> Tears the band apart. Um, so anyway, this song does have fool themes and general white uh, jazz soul sound, and so that makes it way more acceptable as the out-rock song than anything in the Eagles catalog, that's for sure. Amen. Yeah, fuck the Eagles. You want to talk about the slink? Let's talk about the slink. All right, so what am I talking about with this genre? Well, like I said, it's a very specific brand of fuck music that I'm trying to nail down here. So let's examine a couple components that aren't quite complete in and of themselves. So here we got Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. It's a great makeout song. It's got that dreaminess and that shimmer that you'd expect from a modern-day David Lynch core track. And just to be clear, by modern, you mean 30 <laughs> years old. This is a very recent song. It came after the remember, 60s. Which I remember distinctly from my childhood, which wasn't that long ago. And it came well after the, the, the 50s and the, the early See, rock and roll the 60s. Era. It came yeah. well yeah. after that, uh, which makes it modern. Fun fact about Chris Isaac is uh, he used to do security for the Ramones. That is a fun fact. Yeah. When he was on uh, Ellen, my wife uh, wore a Ramones shirt on my recommendation. And he saw her. He was like, hey, I used to do security for them. I don't, don't. I don't want to think that he's like a dork like that. Hey, no, I, like, I did security hey, for that one. Hey, I like your shirt. I, used uh, to I did security I used for to Ramones. <laughs> oh, yeah, that shoot on the beach with that model was great. Yeah. she was the prettiest girl I ever saw. We rolled around in the sand. Oh, she was so pretty. She was topless. I had to do everything I, I could to keep keep my penis flaccid. Luckily, it was no, actually water. when he, when he walked into Ellen like. He had a topless girl like just wrapped around him. That's just it's like how oh. Slash used to carry a boa constrictor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so key point about this track, it moves deliberately and languidly, which I think is a word. Languidly. Uh, crapulent is a word. It means yeah, like yeah. drunken. I had a crapulent yeah. weekend. I yeah, was drunk all weekend. Feculent. Yeah. Feculent. Monty Burns. Monty Burns liked to wallow in his own crapulence. <laughs> Yeah, it's th yeah. Those are both perfectly cromulent words. Yes, they are. I, had a, I ate a lot of dairy, gambled, and I lost, and I was wallowing in my own feculence. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's a good word. Uh, this song is not feculent. It's moody with a little hint of a dark side, and the vocal sounds like it's swooning, like he might literally pass out from being so overcome with smoldering eroticism. These are all potentially relevant parts of a song that has the slink, but. 
This one does not have much of a beat. You know, if things keep going well in your makeout session at some point, you're going to need to get your hips moving. So, let's look at the other end of the spectrum here. So this is Donna Summer, obviously. This is Love to Love You, Baby. This is the single edit of her 16-minute album-length uh, orgasm disco song. Rock this band. One. Yeah, this is a rock band. Put this her on the map. Yeah. Totally put her on the map. This one definitely has a beat. Music is telling your hips exactly what they ought to be doing. Lots of grinding going on here, getting a little more than a little sleazy in the good way. Yeah, that's it. Move those hips. There's still some of that swooning quality in the melody lines. The arrangement has a few different things going on that all coalesce into this swirl of sound that helps bring more of that swoon out. It's real, real close to the slink, but there's nothing languid left here. Even though the tempo isn't too fast, it's missing that sensation of melting into the night. This song pretty much just runs up and starts humping your leg the second you walk in the door. It's like, dang, let me shake off the cares of my day here. I'm not a machine, you know. And you wonder why you have no wife. You gotta <laughs> throw them bitches a bone as soon as you get home. And now everybody's wondering how I got a wife. I, it's a complete mystery to me, honestly. No. But no, I don't really wonder why I have no wife either. <laughs> anyway, we'll be, we'll be looking to merge these two feels. The other thing we'll notice about a lot of these songs is that they, uh, they fall more on the androgynous part of the gender spectrum. Whether the singers are dudes or chicks or unpronounceable symbols, they Who all find... me? Oh, I don't know. It's, you know, it could apply oh, to anybody. Oh, sorry. sorry. I made a technical error. Technical error. Okay. The first one in any episode of ours ever. Way to break, way to break the streak, JD. I'm looking for a song on my, on my Spotify on my phone. And it's connected yeah, to the, you all can't, the You're not allowed to use Spotify more than one thing at a time. Yeah, no, I get notifications on my phone that I'm playing no. Spotify on my laptop. It's weird. It's creepy. It's all, it's all interconnected. But I got a note. They're I all watching a... you. I got a note on my phone that my oven was up to temperature. Dave. Wow. Ain't that some shit? Also kind of creepy. We don't care about your fancy house. Steve. It's like the fucking NSA over there. Steve, continue. (laughs) Voluntary NSA. So anyway, whether the singers are dudes or chicks or prince, they all find ways to sound horny without getting off-puttingly macho about it. Nobody on this list is like, What's up? I'm Stud Powercock. Here to jackhammer you into sweet submission. That's hair metal. No, not really. That's what hair metal thought it was. That's what Man of War was pretending to be. Yes. It was a combination of hair metal and the British guys. It's like weightlifters that also played metal. Like Thor. Do you remember Thor? Yeah, I remember Thor. Oh, yeah, Thor. I saw Thor live in concert at the Knitting Factory. Oh, man, that's a man. My cousin got me into Thor. It was really, he got me the video for Christmas. It was a documentary, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Documentary, I think it's on Netflix. Was it recent? Pretty recent. That guy lives up by my cabin. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Thor? No, no, the guy who did the documentary. Oh. But I'm sure Thor hangs out there, too. Thor Thor can't afford a cabin. (laughs) Can I come over? Can I come over and jam? No, lift. That guy didn't jam. He pumped iron. Anyways, Steve. Hey, so, so we're gonna t- today we're gonna hear some glam and some trip hop and a little disco and a little bit of none of the above, all musical styles that are generally friendly to not bro sexiness. And they all have very breathy singing. Yes, very many of the and the ones that aren't breathy are very like purry. Yeah.
Boogie down. Yep. Well, that's going to be easy. This guy did a good job. <laughs> Tristan N. did a good job. Yeah, it's good not job. like those typewriter ones. That yeah. just... They did a poor job, <laughs> well, but I bet they had fun. They did They did a great job for playing on a typewriter. That's for goddamn sure. Yes. Tell you one thing, they're probably typing typing some cheers to each other because of the Boston Typewriter Orchestra with the Red Sox in the World Series. They're probably going, you know, like uh, Red Sox Joe hits a home run over mm. the Green Monster. Yeah. And they go. Yeah, they eat some of the baked beans. Okay. Sorry, Steve. And they park their cars. Did you ever hear my character? <laughs> Did you ever hear my character, Boston Dave? Oh, he's great. <laughs> this is uh, this is Placebo with the song Pure Morning. It's hard to get more androgynous than Placebo. They were a Britpop band with a heavily made-up cross-dressing singer named Brian Molko. Their sound was sort of usually sort of glam rock meets the Smiths which seems like an odd combination from afar, but they are actually not the only Britpop band with that basic foundation. And uh, musically, this is a bit of a departure for them since it's built more on loops than live performance. And there's a touch of trip-hop in that little drum track there, too. Uh, this song was the first single from their second and generally best-regarded album, Without You, I'm Nothing. And it was the official follow-up to their breakthrough hit, Nancy Boy, which was about taking drugs and being bisexual. And not coincidentally, Brian Moko was an out bisexual who used to take a lot of drugs. You know, I hate to stereotype, but I really thought that uh, all bisexuals were way cooler than this. Now I've met a few of them now, and it's just not... It's not... Yeah. Not as cool as I no, thought? No, every, some of them are. Every, some yeah, of them aren't. But like, know, that's why I'm just... It's, like, variation. it's there's like any group of people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like any There's going to be some like real any, turds. That's yeah. why you shouldn't stereotype. Yeah. There's a lot of big nerds, too. Yeah. You know, it's... The, the, the richness of human I, variants. I actually looked at this when I was putting together another genre that never came to fruition about kind of drone singing. And this one oh, to okay. me sounds so much like, uh, what is it, coming down the mountain? The, I don't oh, know. She'll Jesus be coming song. down the mountain when she No, comes. that was round. And oh. no, the, the butthole surfer is like, I don't mind the sun sometimes. Oh, Pepper? Pepper, that was it. Oh, She'll yeah, I coming. That oh, too bad we never got to it. Yeah, maybe we will someday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we won't. Well, anyway, this song is apparently more about friendship with women than being bisexual and taking drugs, despite all the references to drugs and S&M and boobs that are in the lyrics. Uh, this was a number four hit in the U.K., and this was their biggest song in the U.S. because it made the top 20 on the Modern Rock Tracks chart. I can't believe that we're doing the Friends with Weed is a Friend Indeed song. <laughs> or yes. Friend with Weed is better. I can't believe we're doing that song. I, it's, honestly, I'm not the hugest fan of Brian Molko's lyrics all the time. And his voice is kind of... I don't even think of, he can take he, ownership of these lyrics. Yeah, I think, he's, I think, I think he's, he's reading bumper stickers. I think he's bisexual, druggy Pat Monahan from Train. Oh, Train maybe, is, I don't know maybe Hall & Oates will get a chance to open for Placebo. <laughs> Trained has terrible lyrics. That's that's the joke. Yeah, okay. Jupiter. Yeah. I don't really listen to Train, so I don't. Know oh, you are missing out, sir. I don't really listen to they, Train. They are a little bit better. I said place. our last episode, episode 100, is tribute to Train. Let's teach, yeah. let's teach Steve about Train lyrics. Well, Steve was wondering why why you didn't have a wife because you're not listening to Train, yeah. my friend. Oh, okay, okay. that sweet, sweet pop culture sweet reference poetry. I, there's uh, there's something in Brian's vocal delivery to me that suggests that anyone who slept with him was probably going to end up dealing with a galaxy of emotional problems. And not coincidentally, 
He later gave interviews about his mental health issues. So even though this song has the right blend of sounds for this genre, it's down here at number 10. Uh, I copied and pasted some of the old school Pitchfork review of this album from back in 2002. Uh, I, would, I wondered if one of you guys might like to read some of it and uh, just do your impression of what you think a, a snarky, over-intellectualized old Pitchfork review writer was... Uh, would have sounded like talking. I think I've got it. I, okay. I think I, I hear it in your voice, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's more annoying, though. Uh, right. Imagine uh, me, but more annoying. Yeah, your I'll, voice is actually rather soothing. Thank you. I, I want to set the scene a little bit. This is not this the way is, you said thank you, though. That was a little squeaky. This is when Pitchfork, their website, was redirected from an actual website that sold Pitchforks. Okay. So... <laughs> That's how they exactly. stuck it out. And this is also when all of their writers wished they were going to grad school for rock and roll studies. <laughs> sure, Moonboy Mike is a lousy songwriter, but his campy lyrical melodrama hits home with, with pasty-eating geeks and plenty of hard-up, acne-ridden adolescents. And of course, cornering the market on teen-oriented sexual frustration is important to the power-hungry, monopolistic-minded Branson regime at Virgin. Ooh, zing. In this case, with Placebo's frigid, nabbish rock product, Virgin Records finally lives up to its name, providing entertainment ideally suited for the young, cynical, insecure, and sexually ambitious male virgin like me. I mean, we're going to deal with that as soon as enough people read my pitchfork reviews. As soon as enough people in 2002 learn how to log on to the internet and learn what a blog is. When it isn't just angry some... farmers that just have the, learned how to use the internet getting pissed off and leaving <laughs> shitty comments about where are the fucking pitchforks. They, they finally... Now they've got farmersonly.com, but this yeah. is back in 2002. Also uh, angrymob.com. <laughs> they, they, they also sell torches. They finally wore those uh, those poor farmers down and took their website, took their domain name. <laughs> uh, fun fact, all three members of Placebo appeared as musicians in the Todd Haynes film Velvet Goldmine, and they covered T-Rex's 20th Century Boy for the soundtrack. Uh, fun fact, I recently visited, visited an actual gold mine, and it was made of rock, not velvet, so I think... I'm going to hypothesize that the movie title there is a metaphor for something soft and valuable. That makes sense, because it is in that movie when we finally get to see Obi-Wan's naked dick. Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, dude's got a hog. Get used to it. No, oh, maybe. You're probably right. What did you think of it? I couldn't think of it. <clears throat> I like how the interstitials are the songs, sounds of virginity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Garbage has a few songs that kind of hit this genre, but I think this is the one that best epitomizes the sound. This is number one crush. It's got a swirling arrangement over this slinky beat here with... This darkly sexy vocal on top. It's not perfect either, though. Uh, the lyrics are sung from the point of view of a stalker. So the longer it goes on, the more lines you're going to hear that are way too disturbing if you're just trying to have a nice, hot, sexy hookup. Like, no, woman, I don't need you to kill anybody for me yet. Well, it depends on what you're into. I don't want that on the first date. 
That's a that's a hefty commitment. Yeah, you want to get to know somebody. Yeah, before you have the murder for you. Yeah, once you get comfortable enough in a relationship, you're usually not putting on music for sex anyway. Yeah. Right. You're just killing a hobo with a claw hammer just to get an erection. Yeah, exactly. Right. We've all been there. Yeah. But this this uh, this song brings us to an unfortunate truth, which is sometimes the hottest sex is with the most emotionally unstable people. Because goddamn, do they feel everything intensely. I gotta say, I never, oh boy. I've never, I've, I've never heard this song before. But it's really living up to the band's name. What was what was this band's name again? Garbage. Oh wait, I thought this was by that band, The Wonderful Song. Sorry, continue. Oh, you've never heard this song before? No. Oh, wow. It's really? Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard Garbage's hit. Oh, Stupid Girl. Yeah. This was so uh, You hit. also know this song, I'm Only Happy When It Rains. Yeah, that one. Yeah. This this was this this uh, kind of swirled around hit. the buzz bin. Yeah. You know, in Garbage's day, I was really... <laughs> yeah. I was concentrating on my studies at the uh, academic um, yeah, um, Light in the Sky, University of Michigan. <laughs> We were playing Nintendo and hoping not to get touched by our sports doctor at Michigan State. <laughs> oh, I guess boy. some of us. Proud Spartan alumni here. Actually, so. he went to Michigan. Oh, what? Oh, the doctor? Yeah. The, the sport doctor? Yeah, he went to Michigan, yeah. and then he came to Michigan. Anyways. Oh, so he learned it all at Michigan. Okay. And tried, anyway. tried to teach Michigan State some of that U of M-style doctrine. <laughs> Doctrine was a double entendre there. Get it? No, not really. All right, Steven. So I'll tell you about the history of the song since you've never heard it. Uh, this was a B-side until British trip-hop producer Nellie Hooper remixed it for the soundtrack of Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Then I have heard it. Yes. You just don't remember it, perhaps. Yeah. Big Claire Danes fan back in that day, that's for sure. Woo. I was a big Shirley Manson fan back in the day. Hachi Machi. Yeah. Both attractive women. And this, <laughs> this, and that's my pronouncement on the matter. Thanks, Uncle Steve. This new version, this new remixed version, hit number one on the Modern Rock Tracks chart for four weeks in early 1997. It was ineligible for the pop charts because, like a bunch of alt rock radio hits at that time, it was not released as a commercially available single. When Garbage debuted, everybody knew them as that band that included Butch Vig, a.k.a. the guy that produced Nevermind for Nirvana. But Shirley Manson, who is an attractive woman, as we've established, pretty quickly took over as the actual face of the group because she was the singer and she was an attractive woman. She was a little androgynous in her own way, too, though, like not conventionally feminine, a husky, throaty voice, and a little bit scary, like enough to make you wonder if her last name was Manson because she was related. No, not related. Not related. Um, she chose the name Manson to illustrate her androgyny. Her birth name was Man's Daughter. Oh. Oh, do you know, do you know uh, the, the anglicized version of Bjork's real last name is Good Man's Daughter? Hmm. Huh. Very interesting. Bjork, good man's daughter. This this chick wants to be as hip as Bjork was in this era. It's a very wow. good point. And Nellie Hooper worked with Bjork too. Hmm. Man, unbelievable. The, the the connections. Do you guys remember? Um, for a brief time, Spin had these little rock and roll comics, like towards the back. They were like one panel or one page, eight no. panels. No. They take like a rock and roll anecdote, and then you know commit it to. Uh, 
to an eight-panel strip that didn't last long. Um, like, there was one, like, Scary Mask lead singer band guy was at a bar and ran into somebody saying that he was the lead singer of the band he was in, and they got in a fight. Like, little stories like that. Wow. But, uh, yeah, great story. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Shirley Manson had one uh, about being backstage at a venue that was so bad they didn't have a toilet, and she had to take a shit in a Dixie cup and throw it away. Wow. And, and I tried to corroborate this story with some research, but all I could find was a story about her getting revenge on her boyfriend by shitting in his bowl of cornflakes. And this is widely documented, and I think it's pretty good evidence that my prior poo story checks out. Mm-hmm. That's my, I think, uh, it's, a good su- I think yeah. it's good support, and I think it also supports my contention that Shirley Manson is frightening. Yeah. No, Tristan, your cover of... Uh, Getting a fax. ...of uh, Nothing You Can Do About It is cannot make the countdown. It is just a bumper. It is not a full song. I was kind of ready to listen to the full song, though. I know. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> nothing Ninja Gaiden can do about it. <laughs> here's a here's a trip-hop meets glam rock number. And by that, I mean it's the trip-hop group Goldfrap basically just writing their own T-Rex song. It's called Ooh La La. It's super blatant, and they do it really well, even though the riff they're sampling is from Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky, which, come to think of it, sounds sort of like if T-Rex was no fun. I hate that song. It's almost as overused in film as Born to be Wild. It's in Wayne's World 2, W, Forrest Gump, Evan Almighty, Saving Grace. Also, Spirit in the Sky is a place. Take me up to the Spirit in the Sky. It's where I want to go when I die. Oh! Is that what you mean? That's what they were talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's where I want to go when I die. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to go on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> no, nobody. Their seats don't recline. They have seats? I thought you had to bring your own. It's better than that fucker Branson's airline. His monolithic <laughs> empire. It's like a big tube in the sky. Ugh. Full of pretension and virgins. Purple lights. <laughs> Monopolistic minded. Anyway, Goldfrap. Goldfrap is a duo composed of singer Allison Goldfrap and synth dude Will Gregory. He lost a coin flip. <laughs> Imagine how different the world would be if this band was called Gregory. That is a great name for a band. <laughs> Hello, we are Gregory. And we are here to rock you on marimbas. <laughs> Scream for me, West Covina. <laughs> this, is, this is a lead single from Gold Frap's third album, Super Nature, from 2005. It's their biggest hit overall, number four in their native UK, and number one on the US dance charts. And the video for this is super glam. There's like a full band decked out in their best Mark Boland finery. And uh, there's a few shots of Alice and Goldfrap riding a glittering silver-plated space horse, which is about the most Mark Bolin thing you can possibly digitally animate. Uh, Goldfrap started out in 2000 at the tail end of the trip-hop movement, but they also tried out a bunch of other styles, too. Some were 
poppy and danceable, and some are moody and introspective. They've topped the U.S. dance charts with five different songs, most recently in 2010, which surprised me because I just assumed they were one of those cult British groups that would never be as big over here as at home. And if you only look at their album sales, that does appear to be true. They've had five straight top ten albums in the U.K., and they sell more over there album-wise. But they have dance chart hits over here for some reason. I don't know what that is. Dave, before we go, would you like to name all the movies that Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenblatt appears yeah, in? Yeah, I got through uh, Saving Grace. So uh, Apollo 13, Knocked Up, Remember the Titans, Longest Yard, Suicide Squad, The Sandlot 2, Ocean's Eleven, Superstar Michael, The Secret Life of Girls, Sunshine Cleaning, this is the end, just to name a few. I didn't even get into the TV shows. I'm surprised that uh, Zemeckis didn't use that in the Frighteners. <laughs> I, I bet he did. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I just looked it up on IMDb. Pro. I had to. I had to. I had to. What, I've. Uh, I've. I've been in the city for I don't know, 15 plus years. I've never been paid for anything that I've been proud of. And one of those times. Um, well, we've gotten a little bit of money for this. Uh -huh. No. Um, no, they always cost more than we made. Uh, one of those things that I wasn't proud of was having to shoot the behind the scenes of a photo shoot from a star from a uh, high school musical. Oh, yeah. And uh, they played this song over and over that day while the phot photographer went, Yeah, just like that. Yeah, turn around. Yeah, perfect. So that's, uh, if you can imagine, this is the soundtrack to a dumb <laughs> Didn't that, 2000 wait, something. Didn't, didn't that girl become famous? Yeah, they are all famous. Wait, this song or Spirit in the Sky? No, this song. Okay, that would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm a very big... What's his name? Norman Greenbaum. Greenbaum. Very big Greenbaum fan. I hope you don't mind, <laughs> Vanessa Hutchins. Oh, uh, Vanessa. They call us Greenbaum bitches. Can, can you change the song And we now, have please? a friend in Jesus. <laughs> can you change the song now, please? Do you want to look beautiful or not? Okay, sorry. Okay, moving on. Ooh, what's going on here? I I I uh, I don't want to spoil. I didn't want to spoil anything earlier, Dave. But there's a Prince song in the countdown. It sounds like he was milking a cow. And that's where they got, and that's where they got the title of the song. Mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's right, Dave. It's "Cream" by Prince. There's <laughs> another pretty direct. Give me that cream. He's talking about cow milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, straight from the source. Cream, get on top of your milking stool, because it's time to yeah. It's time to milk the cows. Yeah. You know, if you don't milk the cows, it's animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. You gotta milk the cows. Is this the one yeah. where those teats get engorged? Yep. Oh no, I'm thinking of Peach. Sorry, she was pure every ounce. I was sure when her teeth bounced. That's Peach. Kind I mean, if you write a song named Cream, you gotta write another song named Peach. Yeah. Because they go together. Or, or Herb. <laughs> <laughs> They're a power duo. Look it up. <laughs> So we got another direct homage to T-Rex here. It's not quite as blatant an imitation as the last song, but it's still it's still definitely there. This is uh, Prince's fifth and final number one single from 1991's Diamonds and Pearls album. It's about cream. It's also about uh, encouraging some captivatingly sexy love interest to be all they can be. 
and Prince later maybe joked that he wrote it looking at himself in the mirror. Fun fact, this is the only Prince number one that was not part of a movie soundtrack. Well, a movie, no movie I'm ever going to let the public see, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, now that he's dead and his vault is open, maybe we will get to see that movie, whatever it was. No, I said my computer is called uh, Me Jerking Off <laughs> 2. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to release that because if you haven't seen the first one, you're not going to be able to follow it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Who are these characters? Uh, also, fun fact, this is the only number one song uh, about a dairy product other than ice cream. Not true. There's a song called Do the Milkshake by the Village People from uh, Can't Stop the Music soundtrack. Is it, was it a number one song? I don't think it charted. Was Milkshake by Keyless a number one song? Yeah, I bet it was. Mm. I bet it was. It may or may not have been. I don't know. I'll look it, it up. Could have been. I'm sure there's some country song called Butter My Biscuits. Or... <laughs> but, I totally, but I totally pulled that fun fact out of my butt. I did no research on it whatsoever. Oh, so Bread thank you for Butter by the, uh, what is it, the Foundation? I don't know if that was number well, one. What's the bread and butter? She's the one. I think maybe president. Uh, I have to look it up. But I think it's one of the guys from the presidents of the United States had a side project that had a song called Bread and Butter. They also had a song called Peaches. Oh. And All no one writes this full circle. So many connections we're drawing here. This, uh, this video, which you can watch on YouTube now that Prince is dead and not around to enforce his copyrights, uh, this video has a lot of sexy people writhing around, including Prince's two new dancers, Diamond and Pearl. Uh, there's a whole big, long two-minute intro segment that I saw that MTV never played because it's completely irrelevant. But it seemed like Prince was trying to do like a Michael Jackson concept thing. It's him being followed around a train station by fans and reporters. Everyone wants to, everyone wants to get on the next train to Minneapolis with him, but only he and Diamond and Pearl run and make it on board. And then it just cuts to the sex club or wherever the band is playing this song. It's completely... It has no connection to anything else that happens in the video. I don't know. Makes sense to me. Maybe maybe Prince just isn't for you. I've, you don't know Cream. You don't know nothing. <laughs> you don't know nothing. <laughs> yeah, this Trade is definitely... doors closed. How many, how many movies does Prince have? Three? Three. Three? Three, yeah. Purple Rain, this was def- Cherry Moon, and... Uh, Graffiti Bridge. Graffiti Bridge. Yeah, that was, uh, that was supposed to be number four. I guarantee it. He was... He oh, wanted this version of Prince to get another movie. Yeah, where he worked in an ice cream shop and sang in a barbershop quartet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, milkshake by Khalees only peaked at number three on the Hot right, 100 Billboard right. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, but I can only bring this song to, to number, number three. three. So I don't, uh, I don't think we have to confirm Prince's taste for androgyny, but I will point out... And he once recorded an entire album pretending to be a female singer named Camille, and he was going to release it under her name without acknowledging his own identity. Great idea. That, that project was canceled at the last minute, possibly, possibly in part because his record label didn't want to give up a bunch of money by releasing a Prince album without Prince's name anywhere on it. Ooh. But a few of those songs showed up on Sign of the Times, and I think most of them eventually came out in one form or another. Uh, well, another thing I want to say about this song, Look Up in the Air, It's Your Guitar is the greatest thing anyone's ever said to tee up a guitar solo. I disagree. Oh? I think Joe Elliott yelling, Drums! <laughs> in Def Leppard's Rocket is the best way to tee up a guitar solo. <laughs> guitar! <laughs> Drums! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, definitely. Oh, Prince 
Prince also decided that Camille was the guiding spirit behind the Black Album, which was the unreleased follow-up to Sign of the Times, which was, uh, the Black Album was also scrapped at the last minute, and this time, because Prince had a spiritual awakening and realized that the album was evil, he blamed this evil on a different alter ego, a low-voiced demon named Spooky Electric. And uh, this realization allegedly happened after he'd taken some ecstasy, which, you know, I get it. We all make big decisions after doing ecstasy, like moving to California, but we don't claim they were made by Spooky Electric. Anyway, androgyny. In, uh, J.D., this, uh, this speaks to your point about the uh, dairy-themed uh, music. Uh, in high school, one year for homecoming week, uh, the theme was the four food groups. Fun high school. Yeah. Well, they're always looking for things uh, in series of four to distribute a- amongst the grades, like four seasons. Um, it was way too tough to find songs for the lip sync competition. Us seniors uh, did Cherry Cherry for Fruit. You had a lot of power in high school. I did. Well, when you when you front a Neil Diamond tribute group, yeah. uh, you get... People pay attention. Major social status. Uh, I, I, I just love us. Us seniors did Cherry Cherry. For, for, <laughs> like, like you didn't force everybody to do a Neil Diamond song. I had some friends. Yeah. Um, I suggested this song for the freshmen, <laughs> but was immediately shut down. And I think it's they were still pissed that my friend Dave and I dressed up as a fruit and a vegetable one oh, day. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they had. They ended up having our hall monitor write a rap about milk. <laughs> it was terrible, and he was later in trouble with the law and is no longer allowed to work around children. <laughs> Great story, Dave. Yeah, way to elevate the podcast. No shit, Dave. Nice job. Thanks, guys. It's that Anthrax song about milk on that covers album. Could have done that one. Oh, Attack of the Killer Bees. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it was, it was my favorite album of theirs because it was the only one that was fun. Yeah. All right, number six of Tristan's countdown bumpers had a, had a technical problem, so... The warriors that could not come have attached themselves to the outer structure. They're seeping through, dealing me, feeding me with the power to survive. They ride on my back for my protection. Number six. Was that what a fool believes? <laughs> <laughs> So I just I've been shouting out T Rex on like half these songs already, so you know a T Rex song is coming, so we may as well get it out of the way now. Hang on, Steve. T Rex isn't a band that you just get out of the way. Shame on you. The reveal is the only thing we're getting out of the way, Dave. And their name is Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, the album says T Rex. The earlier one says Tyrannosaurus Rex. They're Tyrannosaurus Rex. When they were folkies, sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, before he put on a top hat and changed rock. This is this is the leadoff track from 1971's Electric Warrior. It's called Mambo Sun. This was the first album where T-Rex completely ditched the folk rock, along with the word Tyrannosaurus, and went full glam. Now, what did glam mean exactly? Well, obviously, Mark Bowen was wearing loud, flashy outfits and playing up his androgyny and putting glitter all over his face, but it also meant abandoning all the hippie shit. No more trying to be profound, no more self-conscious artistry. It was okay to be simple and stupid and silly and sexy and fun. The, the J.D. Riznar of music. He, no, I will disagree that he gave up that hippie shit. He was still, 
outside he of his... He was subverting the hippie <laughs> shit. Outside of his songs, he still said annoying things. All right, Hunter bit right into my bit. Yep. Okay, say those anyway, <laughs> adjectives so again. Mark Bolan makes it okay to be simple and stupid and silly and sexy and fun. The J.D. Riznar of music. In other words, rock and roll could go back to being like the kind of person who gets laid a lot. Never mind. Oh, sorry. sorry. You, really, you really ruined it. Sorry. Some gold. Sorry, guys. We should have we not had the carriage return in there. I think it would have dovetailed. Yeah. See, if you would have wrote me a line like, great story, JD, I would have been like paying attention to it oh, not wanting yeah. to get it out. Okay, yeah. But it's okay, Hunter, because it was also, it was, it was needed to say. Uh, but anyway, that's why T-Rex was so influential. The number one reason in the world to start a rock and roll band is to get laid. And that's why T-Rex should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Never even been nominated if the website I looked at was still accurate. No, that that was, yeah. they were my pick last year yeah. for the who should be in. And they were going to yes. be my pick this year, but I forgot you picked them before. And I already have like three picks for this year. No. That's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. I hate where we have to argue for people who are being nominated. I'd rather just name a bunch of bands that should be in there. Anyways. By the way, uh, for all you out there in listener land, episode 95 is going to be our third annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Voter's Guide special. So look forward to that one. Uh, so back to this song. This is a silly song about wanting Spoiler to fuck. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. And uh, this song is full of silly rhymes and weird nonsense imagery, and it's perfect for lap dances. What kind of strip clubs do you frequent, Steve? I don't, I don't recall saying the lap dances happened at a strip club. Oh. oh. I'll tell you what. You uh, you go to Jumbo's when it's not crowded. We used to go there New Year's Day every day. That was a bit of a tradition when old uh, Tony Zaret lived in town. The uh, dancers very quickly realized that we were tipping the songs they chose and not what they were doing. So they, we heard a lot of Weezer. And uh, T-Rex and Pixies and War Pigs. <laughs> One time at a strip joint in my hometown of Muskegon, Michigan, uh, a lady took off her clothes to the Imperial March from Star Wars. Oh, that's great. I was at a I was at a strip club in uh, Clare, Michigan, uh, called Maselli's. Oh boy! Uh, what was I, that like? I almost got my ass beat by a guy with one arm because I was making fun of him for losing. No, no, he had two arms, but I was making fun of him for being beaten at pool by a guy that only had one oh, arm. Okay. I was like, that guy's only got one arm and he's kicking your ass. He's like, how about if I kick your ass? Anyway, they had a jukebox that you could, it was free. You could just go and push buttons on it. But I didn't realize that was for the strippers. (laughs) So some girl got up on stage and Spanish Flea started. I heard about the Tijuana Brass, and she started trying to strip to it. It was like, what the fuck is this? That's, I put in ACDC. That's, uh, and she had a deer head tattoo on her thigh. That's a... Theme song to the newlywed game. Dave, how did you manage to not get your ass kicked at that strip club? I was with an off-duty Detroit cop that had a gun, and he showed it to the guy in the parking lot, and then the guy bought me a beer. <laughs> and then Dave got more annoying. <laughs> uh, did, did I say eat your ass? Ra- eat your ass? I meant eat your ass. <laughs> Come on. 
He drove us there in a windowless van without seats, a cargo van with lawn chairs in the back and a cooler filled with Labatt. And we're all sliding around just drunk as shit on these back roads. White privilege. Detroit's (laughs) finest. Yeah, that's like living in the middle of nowhere. Privilege. Yeah, yeah. That's there's there's <laughs> who lives in the middle of nowhere? Mostly white people. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, there was there was nothing, anything but white. Yeah. Anywhere around that, you know, you go over to Jay's Sporting Goods, you're not uh, you're not seeing a lot of minorities. Not a lot of diversity in Claire, Michigan, or most of that area of Michigan. Mm-hmm. One girl has a deer tattoo. Another one has a tattoo of the map of Michigan. Yeah, I think even Maselli's. Even Maselli's was a nod to uh, uh, who's the boss? The, 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 the one ethnic guy who ever came through town. Yeah. Hey, I'm a Maselli. He look at my pretty girls. <laughs> I was talking about Mambo's son for a minute. Uh, and then there was the black guy who came through town. Oh, never, <laughs> never mind, never mind. That one year back in '78. Chinese guy. That was 83, I think. I'll never forget that one. Malvo's Son was not a hit, nor was it ever a single. There's no swirling in this arrangement. It doesn't need any extra elements past those weird background vocals that sort of sound like kazoos. It's just a real good tune with a real good groove to fuck to. I've probably said this before, but if you've ever wondered why the hell Def Leppard writes lyrics the way they do, it makes total sense once you've heard T-Rex. I've always thought that uh, Jim Morrison was overrated as a poet because to me he was clearly just writing the first rhymes that popped into his head and pretending that they were profound. And Mark Boland was doing the exact same thing but without the I'm a modern day shaman bullshit. And to be clear, by modern you mean 50 years ago, right? Yeah, I mean modern, modern day shaman like as opposed to like ancient cultures hundreds of years ago that that healed that healed Steve, their sick Steve, with, Steve. with the response shamans. was supposed to be oh you got me again jd that oh was... you got me again jd faith and bigara <laughs> thank you thank you I just want to say Mark Boland did kind of consider himself a modern-day shaman. Hmm. That was still there. He just is British. He's, he's to blame for, you know when you see those dipshits wearing uh, steampunk goggles on a top hat? <laughs> That's a whole different thing. Okay, well, it's let's... his fault. He made, he made top hats cool for rockers. Guys, we need to talk about pure sex on this, on this track right here. Hear that? Unadulterated sex. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't put this in here because I like the movie or the song. I put it in because I'm looking for a copy of the Coupe de Ville's LP waiting out the 80s from 1985. If anybody in uh, listener land has, has an extra copy, let me know. I would really like one of those. This is the Coupe de Ville's with their titular song, Big Trouble <laughs> in Little China from the movie Big Trouble in Little China. We were tittering about that word. So, uh, yeah. so hey, so no, you guys, this is serious. So, sorry, hey, sorry, sorry. So, sorry. hey, if fuck, any, shut the fuck up. If anybody has a copy of uh, Waiting Out the 80s from Rictus Records, uh, put out, let Rictus. me know. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know how many they actually got out there. Um, anyway, so like I said, I don't like this movie or this song. I love this movie and song. Uh, first, let's talk about the song. The Coupe de Ville's is the film's director, John Carpenter, who plays uh, much of 
all the instruments except lead guitar. That was Tommy Lee Wallace, another filmmaker who worked on a uh, worked a ton with John Carpenter and even directed Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, the best Halloween Three. <laughs> and finally, on vocals it was the best Halloween Three. And finally, on vocals is the man who originally played uh, Michael Myers, filmmaker uh, Nick Castle, best known, I'd say, for directing The Last Starfighter. Hunter, you let me know if you ever want to go on my last Starfighter location tour. <laughs> We're going to go into outer space. Uh, we can also hit up a couple of spots from Cobra. They're uh, right next to each other. Ooh. Hey, don't our friends John Kaneski and John Spiker play? Yeah, they play with, with John Carpenter. They, yeah, they tour with John Carpenter. I saw him. Yeah? I sent you a picture of... Oh, yeah, you didn't know that they played in the band. No, right? I was yeah. like, is this, I, I, the whole time I'm going, I think I know that guy. So I took a picture and sent it to JD. He's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's Cones. Yeah, it totally was. By the third song. Oh, but here's the thing. So John Carpenter, in that, he's just playing his, like, uh, his scores music. Okay. Which is awesome. This is his, like, pop stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this this song is is basically standard plot rock. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, so Carpenter's known for scoring most of his movies, but this is his only th- song where I can really think of where he makes a pop song for the credits and to be released as a single. Um God, it's, such it's a shame he didn't direct Captain Ron. <laughs> I mean, don't rock do, the boat, Captain Ron. How do you improve perfection? Okay, so let's talk about this movie. It only flows with Captain Ron. It's this movie. This movie's great fun, and uh, it's great and it's fun and it's great fun, uh, and it's this weird anachronistic uh, western uh, set in the '80s. Uh, San Francisco mixed with ancient Chinese mysticism, or uh, today what would be described as problematic. (laughs) Um, Oh, like a Calgon commercial from back in that era. uh, Among uh, (laughs) ancient Chinese secret. Yeah, yeah. Remember remember that catchphrase? Yep. Only if if, uh, John Wayne would have said it (laughs) while wearing uh, neon. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, <laughs> Ching Chong Ding Dong. That means ancient Chinese secret. I'm John this, Wayne. This is how we sold products back in the 80s. So, among Kurt Russell, the Love Muscles' uh, most famous carpenter turns as Snake Plissken and RJ McCready, it's here as Jack Burton, in which he really gets to finally shine, show off those chops. Um, and it's not just Russell. You can also tell everyone's having fun on this. Uh, Dennis Dunn, James Hong, Kim Cattrall, Victor Wong. He's all cool. three of the storms. Everybody revels in the material. And it's a joy to watch. And I miss joy. Mm-hmm. I miss it, And I miss watching it. He's a charter boat, Long John Silver, Captain Run. Also a joy to watch. Uh, my favorite part of the movie is when he's yelling about the pork chop express into the CB. It's just driving along, yelling random shit into the CB. I don't think anyone even answers him, do no, they? He's just no. It's like he's in the rant zone. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like a Steve. It's like a Trump press conference. It's just an. It is. It's just a man screaming at cars passing by. Except uh, it's it's delightful when Kurt Russell does it. And you too, Steve. Don't listen to Dave. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm aware that it's delightful when I do it. That's why I, that's why I continue. What, what did, to, what did that's I why say? I continue to please the audience. You compared the rant zone to a to a to a Trump rally. 
Well, I'm saying what Kurt Russell is yelling into the Listen, uh, we know you don't like Trump. CB. He's just saying, doesn't make Hunter, any sense. He's saying that I'm a charismatic proto-fascist. No, I'm saying, yeah, like Kurt Russell. Right, yes, like Kurt Russell. Is this a vacation or a con? Captain Run! No, I wasn't done. <laughs> also, a joy is the music video the Coupe de Ville's made for this song. It was basically a peek into the editing process, if you actually watch it, in which three hugely talented filmmakers cut the raws while playing instruments and da- dancing with 80 sunglasses on an app that are absolutely not UV protectant. They're one of those where they just like cut a slit. Yeah, little, a yeah, little yeah. slit glasses. Shade glasses. Yeah. Yeah, it's a joy. Yeah. It's a joy. Hunter, I moved my paragraph up so you could have the final word there. And it messed, I wasn't, me, it messed me up. I apologize. I, I was going to end it on a huge Captain Ron lyric, and now I just have to end it by going... Still good. Thanks for letting me have the last word, Dave. You're welcome. Mario Ma be there. <laughs> Thank you. Good work. Off the top, was that off the top of your head? Fuck yeah, bro. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. My zero years in improv class. <laughs> well, do you have the titles written out in front of you? No. Oh. So we could all be working on them. <laughs> <laughs> Here's number five. This is Love and Rockets. We're so alive at number five. Love and Rockets were the Belle Biv DeVoe of goth. What do you do if your lead singer leaves and all you've got left is the supporting personnel? You just keep going as a trio. That way nobody can ever leave you again. So these guys were the instrumental section of Bauhaus. And when Peter Murphy went solo, they eventually just decided to be a band by themselves. They made guitarist Daniel Ash the new singer. And they named themselves after the graphic novel series by the Hernandez Brothers. Too bad the Hernandez brothers didn't think to trademark the name Love and Rockets for live music performances. <laughs> I also like to think that these guys were listening to a lot of Michael Damien back then. Oh, yeah. They had both of his albums. <laughs> you know, that would have been a pretty good genre, as, uh, bands that kept going after their lead singer left or died. Yeah. Or yeah. was lost. They couldn't uh, find him. I guess, mm-hmm. I guess we'll never... The Crappy Doors... <laughs> the crappy yeah, Did uh, the Manic Street Preachers uh, keep going after? Uh, yeah, Richie yeah, Manic? They, they, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they've had way more albums without. They Richie were just James the Street than, Preachers. Yeah. Well, yeah. After Richie Manic disappeared, you can't call yourself Manic anymore. But they did. Yeah. They just sounded less Manic. That's some bullshit. Let's never talk about them again. Boy, you're gonna be disappointed with my next episode. I anyway, know. The, uh, oh, oh yeah. The Love Love and Rockets, uh, their first few albums did pretty well on college radio, but this song was their fluke pop breakthrough in 1989, a year when alternative rock was just starting to find its way into the upper reaches of the pop charts. This went to number three, and it was really only a big hit here in the U.S. It barely even made the charts at, at all back home in the U.K., and they never had another hit. What do you call that percussion instrument that kind of looks like a fish that you hold like a bowling ball and it's ribbed and you rub a stick on it? It's a fish. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? I know what you're talking about. Boy, are they getting their money's worth on it in this is song. It a, is it a rasp? That's no, a, that's, no. A, that's, that's a woodworking that's the shop tool. tool. That's well, well, Steve, it's that instrument that looks like a rasp. While Steve rants, I'll try to do some uh, internet investigation. All right. 
Uh, this is another song that gets compared to T-Rex a lot. I don't hear it quite as much here. It's it's there, but it's it's kind of buried under all the spooky production and the I'm a sexy ex-goth kind of vibe that that's going on. It also feels a little less androgynous than the other one since Daniel Ash has a deeper voice. But it's not like goth or, in this case, goth-adjacent rock has ever really been about hewing to gender convention. And he does keep that breathy, purr-like-a-cat vocal style that we talked about up top and we heard just from, from Mark Boland just now. So the conclusion we can draw is that America loves T-Rex ripoffs, but not T-Rex. And uh, I rewatched the video to remember what it was. It's, it was, it's not as sexy as I remember it. Uh, it's, it's mostly a bunch of long, skinny women's legs in black stockings and high heels marching slowly in a single-file line and then just kind of milling around in some flickering shadows, which I assume represent the dark heart of a goth being set aflame with sex passion. It was kind of like they were trying to do Robert Palmer, but like art school. And other than that, it's just Daniel Ash looking real gothed out, lip-syncing his, uh, his, his pop-hit song. What's it called? You found it, Dave. It's a Super Guerrero? Uh, Guerrero. Uh, LP Latin Percussion. Super Guerrero. Gu- Guerrero? Gu- 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 yeah. G-U-I-R-O. Guerrero? Guerrero? Guerrero. Maybe the G's silent, like Eero. It's uh, a, and then the thing you scrape them with are called scrapers. It's a, yeah. he- it's a hero. A scraping hero. Yeah. Only uh, 50 bucks. What do you got on that one? Zelda. I was going to say Pega Man. Ah! Boom. (laughs) Thank you. Which, I was going uh, for the it's one also uh, also a great pastime. I was going for the one the one and uh, appropriate to the subject matter of this episode. One word woman name. Uh, Years is better. All right, we've had some good deliberate languid grooves, but now we're getting into some really pronounced swoon. This is U2 with "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." It's the only time they have ever sounded sexy on record. Depends on how you feel about. The edge with yeah. numb. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. That's, that's, that's where my head point. went. That's, that's where my head point. went. That was another one from my Droner episode that will never be. Alas, what could have been? Yeah. I'm sure I would have found a way to fuck it up. And Here, here's a U2 song I don't care about. Yeah. Uh, and here's number four, a punk rock song. <laughs> uh, the reason U2 gave this to the Batman Forever soundtrack is that actual sexiness is fun and playful and spontaneous and thus has no place on a proper U2 album. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to call this the best song they ever did. Yeah, that's right. Fright me. I'm looking at you, Golden Raspberry Awards, who nominated this for Worst Original Song just because it was from Batman Forever. This song is great. This song is beautiful. This yeah. Is- fantastic song. Yeah, and if you taught Batman Forever, you know what happens? No. You get Batman and Robin. Yep. Which is even worse. Didn't... You might... I'm, I'm told. Do you talk about... Do you talk about... Okay, you do. I just saw it. Okay. I was, okay. I was going to say why I imagine they probably nominated this because of theatrics. Anyways, continue. So, if you, yeah, okay. So, I'm going to talk about the sexiness quotient first. Yes. 
Uh, if you're using Do this, it. If you're using this as makeout music, it's best not to analyze the lyrics too much because Bono, a rock star with a well-known messiah complex, complains that fans want you to be Jesus. But all the half-formed musings about stardom actually work pretty well in this glam rock setting since that music is usually about trying to be rock stars. But there's also a trip-hop link. This was co-produced by Nelly Hooper, who we heard back at number nine on the Garbage song. Yeah, that's song. Uh, uh, what? I was going to say, yeah, that song sucked, but that's the name of the band. Never mind. Keep going. Oh, Sorry. You, okay. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, you're, do, you're called yeah. back JD's joke. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I got it now. Uh, uh, anyway, I'm going to launch into a list of Nelly Hooper credits. Rant Zone. He, uh, he <laughs> produced the first Soul to Soul album. Best he one. co-produced Sinead O'Connor's cover of Nothing Compares to You. Written by Kenny Rogers. <laughs> he was an affiliate of Trip Hop Pioneer's Massive Attack and produced their second album, Protection. From a Massive Attack. Mm -hmm. He did the first Bjork album and parts of her second. And then graduated from the underground to working with Madonna on 1995's Bedtime Stories album. That was the soundtrack, soundtrack to the Adam Sandler movie. Was there an Adam Sandler movie called Bedtime Story? I have no idea. Yes. And then it was there? I don't know. And then Madonna did every song for the soundtrack. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no wonder it was a big hit. You don't know. Yeah. Are you you're not into music, Steve? Doesn't that movie have incredible locations? I thought it was animated. Yeah. He oh, you did it. Am I thinking of Eight he Crazy Nights? You guys, he played the immature rich kid who couldn't live up to its parents' ideals. Oh, you're thinking of different strokes. Oh. Speaking of animation, this video... Which is, which is ultimately what killed my father. <laughs> <laughs> Not animation. No, different, different strokes. Adam Sandler. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. So that segue about animation, I'll, I'll just pretend like that's still uh, Oh, uh, the viable. doc don't know what disease kills some. <laughs> A heart attack is one. And uh, cancer gets another one. But In the case of Tom. <laughs> it was pretty clear because he had his first stroke and a wheelchair for a year. And then it took a different stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different stroke to kill the Tom. You listening, oh, Mom? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Are you sure you've had zero improv classes? I'm just brilliant, Steve. Marianne, you owe, you owe me a song. <laughs> yeah, you you owe me a parody. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll record one of things. Tasteless parody. Okay. JD's got a, a lot of material you can mine. <laughs> oh, we have fun. The All video right. for this talking song. about you too. <laughs> you talking you too to me? Hey, that's a good idea for a podcast. Uh, the video for this song is mostly a bunch of Batman Forever footage. There's some badly animated cartoon versions of U2 so that they wouldn't have to actually be in the video. Bono appears as his alter ego, Macfisto. Yes. And I have to explain, I have to explain that for it to start to make any sense. And don't worry, it's not going to take as long as explaining Lifehouse by Pete Townsend took me in that episode. So Bono... Uh, for the Zoo TV tour around the Octung Baby Zoo Rope era, Bono started wanting to have alter ego characters. So 
So there was the fly. He took an, he took an improv class. Yes, he took an improv <laughs> class. And he, I've got characters now. Hey, give me, give me a bug. Someone in the audience, give me a bug. A uh, cockroach. I heard fly. <laughs> I heard Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> You know, some people say he's arrogant. I don't. I don't see it. Right, sorry, Steve. Yeah, that was a character. The, the fly was a character who was an egomaniacal rock star who wore leather and sunglasses. He was a character that Bono was playing, pretending to be. You see, everyone. The difference is, the fly doesn't do any charity work in Africa. <laughs> oh, that's probably true. <laughs> what you just said was probably true. Oh. Uh, then there was Mirrorball Man. Oh. He was a greedy televangelist huckster who wore a silver lame suit and a cowboy hat. He had an over-the-top southern accent. He just what, stole... What the fuck is it with he, these creative people coming up with names like Spooky Electric and Mirrorball Man? <laughs> he just stole that from the Steve Martin movie where he wore with the... With a jacket, Leap of with, Faith. Yeah. yeah. He's... Yeah, anyway. This I is mean, the any- worst improv class you ever took. <laughs> yeah. And then when he, he went, he, when, uh, when the tour left America and went to Europe, uh, a little later he came up with Mephisto, who was he, was, he replaced Mirrorball Man. He was a more European. Yeah, that one takes time to develop something yeah, that exactly. clever. Well, it sounds exactly. like he was taking the piss out of the Scottish. <laughs> Mephisto. Uh, now the Irish are above that. <laughs> But Mephisto was supposed to be a more European cross between an aging glam rocker and the devil Mephistopheles. And this character wore a gold lame suit instead of silver. He had white pancake makeup that made him look a little bit like the Joker, so it was kind of a fit for this video. White face. And uh, devil horns. And uh, Mephisto would make prank calls to politicians. So it kind of was like Bono's version of Spooky Electric. It was the demon character. May and, I speak uh, to Bill Clinton, please? No. Tell him it's McVisto. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I answered a phone call for somebody I was working with and it was Bono? And I couldn't, I didn't know who it was and couldn't understand a single fucking word he said. And he got super, super angry with me because I didn't know who he was over the phone. So anyway, your impression of him was, <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Fucking asshole. I assume that Mephisto is also the only version of Bono who's allowed to sing fuck music because he's a very serious person who does very <laughs> important things. Uh, Joel Schumacher, the director of Batman Forever, was apparently going to try to work Mephisto into a party scene in the movie, but the idea ended up getting cut. Uh, let that sink in. That scene was not good enough to make it into Batman Forever. <laughs> hey, so Batman, do you want to make prank calls to Commissioner Gordon with me? I'm McFisto! Are you calling Rockstar? Instead of that, we got this Zuropa outtake on the soundtrack. And nipples on the bat suit. We also got that. Because what is, what is Batman if not anatomically correct? Uh, I, I found a, a quick little... While I was looking, looking up shit about Batman Forever, apparently during the filming... Uh, Tommy Lee Jones flat out told Jim Carrey that he hated him. And when Jim Carrey asked what the problem was, Tommy Lee replied, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. 
Imagine if McFisto was in that mix. I <laughs> <laughs> could have made a prank call to Jim Carrey. Said that very same Let, thing. Let me light me up, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee, what we call, what we call a uh, good old uh, Jim Carrey. Give me old Rudy New. Oh, Bono. That's accurate because that was the character of McFisto. I've got Senator Patrick Leahy on speed dial. We'll give him a ring a ding and, and say something that's not true. Ask him about the Judiciary Committee. Uh, do, you, do you think he was calling American politicians or Irish politicians? I think in America he was calling American politicians as mirrorball man as well. Uh, There's a real bugger I, I, of a I, I, tribal I, leader I met down in Africa. Yeah, because mirrorball man really comes across over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a striking visual. Uh, Senator Leahy, it's mirrorball man, yo. <laughs> I'm a Southerner. Okay, sorry. Okay, are we done? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. Oh, all right. Uh, I keep going to Icarus, and that wasn't really even a popular game. Fucking Icarus nature. Good one, guys. We did it, JD. <laughs> Fucking nailed it. Where's our Pulitzer? Human Cupid? <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, he's still going. <laughs> no, no, I'm oh, yeah. Period. Okay, go. Human, right. human centipede? <laughs> go. <laughs> it's a great video, classic video game. Uh, this is the uh, the closest we're going to get to bros on this countdown. This is Kiss You All Over by Exile. And Exile was just a bunch of good old Kentucky boys who figured out that disco could get them laid. But there is a link to glam rock here, too. Exile was kicking around the local Kentucky scene for a long, long time until they somehow became the world's luckiest bar band and hooked up with producer-songwriter Mike Chapman, Ooh. who we all remember from Chapman episode, and Chin. Yeah, from episode 9, Undercover Glam. And they got Mike Chapman to produce their 1978 album, Mixed Emotions. This song was written by Chapman and Nikki Chin. Chapman also produced Blondie, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. Oh. And didn't he, kill... Uh, who's the Beatles guy? Married Yoko? John Lennon. He, yeah, he did... No, he not, did not the same Chapman. No. Uh, this song was number one for a month, and the most macho thing we're going to hear today is the sleazy, yeah, at the end of the first verse, which I think has already come and gone. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll restart the song. But Hunter was point. ready for it. We'll restart the song, and we'll listen to it again, I'm sure. Uh, so... There's not much androgyny going on on this one, unless you count the, the little bursts of Bee Gees harmonies in the chorus and the bridge. Or his page boy haircut, his page boy yeah. mullet. Such a good look. Oh, this guy. Classic. Okay. <laughs> Yo, you got talking about this guy in a yacht and yacht, right? Yeah. Oh, you guys are missing so much now listening to yacht and looks yacht. Like, looks like he should be on a, a can of Dutch boy paint. No, no this is a. I, I uh, boned through these guys. That's what it was. You guys are missing so much now, hurry. I've heard you. <laughs> Bone throws. Early. Different strokes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two. If you, perhaps you can hear. There's two singers on this track. They're tag teaming you. It's Jimmy Stokely and guitarist J.P. Pennington. There's also a pianist and a synth player because this was 1978. And there's this swirling synth in the background. It gives it the atmosphere that this genre needs. But no and marimba player because Starbuck guy kicked the shit out of every marimba player who came around the scene. Yep. Yeah, I didn't need the competition. Yeah. Yep. 
And, and he's uh, strong, like physically, yeah. from mm-hmm. hauling around that ten-foot long marimba. fucking yeah. marimba. All the club gigs. Uh, this is a disco rock song, so even in the parts where it feels like a love ballad, there's always that insistent fuck beat underneath. But what really drives it home is that swoon in the chorus when it hits the till the night closes in part. And then that sleazy guitar lick. Here it comes. Here, we'll just take a listen to it right here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And unless it's going to the bridge, there's a sleazy guitar lick that starts thrusting <laughs> away right, in, right after that. It's, it's a masterpiece of squalid eroticism, and the only explicitness is in the performance. It's sort of like overhearing somebody's lecherous uncle talk about his feelings at a swinger party and realizing he's got mad game and he's totally going to score. Just like that. We all, we've all been there. Yep. Mm-hmm. We all have. That's, that's, uh, we all went to swinger parties back in the 70s. With our uncles. With, well, in the 70s, I think I went to a swing party. Where, well, on the where, swing set? Yeah, where somebody had a swing set in, well, in their backyard. What would happen is your parents would put you in those dangerous swings that hung from doors, but they would mm-hmm. face you the other way while they had orgies with their friends. And then, it, and then you. I be have bouncing. a photo of me in one of those those swings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what was going on behind that? And then, well, the the photo was shows what was behind it. Mm-hmm. It was, it was it just, fucking. It was fucking. Yeah. It broke. They they would break. And then parents would go, oh, no, the baby's hurt. And that's why parents never have orgies anymore. At least none I've ever gotten invited to. Would you want to? Oh, never mind. No, I wouldn't. You could you could do a show devoted to to that, to your to your need. To my need to be to be invited to orgies? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I you'd think. have to host them here after you put the kids to bed. That's true. Yeah. We do have this garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hey, think, I think. hey, you want to come to my garage, Orgy? That's the thing about orgies is that you should probably never go to one that you'd be invited to. I gotta, I gotta move the table. <laughs> hold, hold, hold on, I gotta secure the uh, trash cans. There's a bear around the yeah. corner. <laughs> I got a, got a photo of Peter Allen. We got an eight by ten of Peter Allen on a huge wall. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> it's a good looking bulletin board that Peter Allen's hanging on. Did you guys make that one? Sure yeah, did. Yeah, we, we got that doing done. Uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, Exile. Exile never had another pop hit after this one. They went back to their roots and became a country band in the 80s. And they were really successful, too. Like, from 83 to 87, they had 10 number one hits. And I don't know any of them. <laughs> we're in the first verse here. We can hear that, yeah. Yeah. Wait, where is it? It's coming up. Oh yeah! There it was. Yeah, it's uh, pretty sleazy. It's pretty. It's really. It's, it's really. It, he really gets a hold of that one. Yeah, if I was in a strip club with someone and they made that sound, I wouldn't want to be their friend anymore. Nope. Definitely not. Because you'd know what was on their mind, and it would be terrible. Yeah, thinking of it'd sex be, at a strip club. Yeah, it'd be Ew. Bad, a bad person. Ew. So Exile had a bunch of hits, but don't worry, not every ending is happy. Lead singer Jimmy Stokely left the band about a year after this big hit, and he died in 1985 at age 42 of complications from hepatitis. So kids, fuck while you can before it all goes away. I miss Steve's irrelevant yeah. death facts. I mean, you tried to, you brought it back in, but uh, to the theme, but still, yeah. not really necessary to share that. No, no, I, I tried to throw him a bone last week. Uh, 
uh, and made our aud- a couple members of our audience look up, did Debbie Boone get hit by a train? <laughs> <laughs> the answer, of course, is no. <laughs> I mean, here's where you can go African Icarus, maybe. Yeah. But also you can work with Toto or Lukather or Picaro. Or Huntgate. Or Paige. Shadow Huntgate. It's a good, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I like that one. Good game. That's a good game. So uh, the two main uses I found for my high school French were, uh, number one, Ordering for the table during the one week I was in Paris with a bunch of other English speakers who did not know a word of French. And number two, trying to figure out exactly how Serge Gainsbourg's songs were dirty. Uh, It turns out that in French, the verb to come is the exact same double entendre that it is in English. Uh, And so is 69, which is uh, in a bit of comic cosmic justice is the year that this Swo- song was released. Soixante-neuf? Soixante-neuf. Soixante-neuf. Oh. It actually sounds more like you're 69ing than saying 60. Soixante-neuf. Yeah, it's more on well, a you're saying it, it's like you're French. sending back whatever Steve ordered. <laughs> Soixante-neuf. Uh, this song is called Je t'aime, moi non plus. And the title roughly translates to I love you, me neither. It's porno music before there was widely available porno. This was also the original Sonic Blueprint. I saw her, I said Sonic for oh. you. Uh, it's the original Sonic Blueprint for Love to Love You Baby. And uh, Donna Summer and Giorgio Moroder actually ended up covering this song in 1978. Uh, this apparently takes place in the middle of sex. There's a, as far as I can tell about the, the lyrics, there's a little philosophizing about the pointlessness of physical love. And a lot of back and forth over who's going to come when. Uh, Serge and his duet partner, Jane Birkin, a young English actress, were actually dating at the time they recorded this. He had already recorded a version with his previous girlfriend, Bridget Bardot, whose husband at the time objected to its being released. So all the painting you hear on this version is actually kind of Jane trying to outdo her predecessor. Knowing uh, the sort of things that Serge was putting out, I'm surprised he didn't make this a duet with his fucking daughter. That came later. With lemon incest. Yes. Which apparently is a pun in French. If the, the French version of lemon incest. In- you say incest it. means something totally different over there? It's, it's a pun on, like, lemon zest. Okay. Like when you zest a lemon. Yeah, sure. I have, word, a, I have a lemon yeah. zester. The word in French is a closer pun than hmm. it is in English. Man, those French. <laughs> it's like they've got a different word for everything. Serge, nobody wants to hear a dude having sex. <laughs> nobody I beg wants to differ, to oh. because this was Serge's uh, okay. big international breakthrough hit. It was his only charting single in the U.S., and the first foreign language song, and the first song completely banned from the radio to hit number one in the U.K. And he had to buck the system to get it there. The week it reached number two... The Fontana label withdrew it from stores because apparently the label owner's wife was angry at him about it. So Serge quickly relicensed it to another smaller label, and the following week it topped the chart. So I want to talk about how great the arrangement is, since you know this whole genre is about the, the sound. 
It's about as funky as you can expect a group of French studio musicians to get in 1969. The strings and the organ <laughs> uh, are all swirling together around the percussive guitar, and it kind of predates disco by at least half a decade. And then you got Jane Birkin's high girlish voice, which sells the swoon factor in this song. Better than Bridget Bardot's huskier moaning, in my opinion. <laughs> which you can now hear. Their version was <laughs> in 1986, like, and it sounds a lot like it that. Sounds like that cow from Cream. <laughs> okay, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, Brigitte Bardot, she is the perfect woman. I cannot wait to pet her. Oh, Brigitte, come to my via. We will make love. It will be so beautiful. Okay, here I go. We are going to make love. Now, do you like the feel of this, Brigitte? Oh! And that's how she earned the title of the sexiest woman who ever lived. <laughs> why, why, whenever I set levels, you just don't do that? <laughs> All of you. And I next time Brigitte Bardot having sex tests. It would be so much easier for me. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe let somebody else uh, ride the, uh, the levels sometime. Was she, was she that, a, that doesn't help anything. JD, was, she, was she in a movie called Blowout? Maybe. No. Antonioni? No, but the movie Blowout was um, he's not talking Brian De Palma. Yeah, but he's not talking about Blow that. Up? Yeah, he's thinking about Blow Up. With John, John Travolta? Of, yes. That's, that's what, a great fucking no, movie. No, that's... John Travolta witnesses a murder. He's a sound man. Yes, the remake. Yeah. Uh, you got a creepy old, uh, not John Leguizamo. What's his name? Uh, third Rock from the Sun guy. John Lithgow. John Lithgow, John Lithgow. yeah. <laughs> John Leguizamo would have been good, too. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, never a misstep with that guy. Yeah, Brigitte, she's in Blow Up, so yeah. I blew up the level. Yeah. I wish she was in Blow Out, but you can't win them all. I wish she was in Blow you? Job. Good one, Steve. <laughs> Five years of improv Ooh. class yeah, with wow. Key and Michael Key. Nailed it. Well, they teach you not to go blue, so... Oh, okay. I'm not good at improvising <laughs> filthy smut jokes. Uh, speaking of tell. filthy smut, uh, in 1976, uh, Serge Gainsbourg wrote a movie script with the same title as this song. It starred Jane Birkin at the center of a love triangle involving two gay truckers, one of whom falls for her because of her slim boyish physique. They have a bunch of anal sex before the other gay trucker takes drastic measures to win him back. And I won't uh, offer any spoilers for you in case you ever want to watch this movie, which I've never seen, and this is a very short summation of what was on the Wikipedia page. Does this Julia star in that movie? Is that her name, Julia? Jane. Jane. Does Jane star in this movie? Yes, she is. Yes, she oh, they stars were together, in the movie. They were together a long time. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Much longer than you'd expect anyone to be with Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah. Um, all right, anything else? Boy, I chewed out for a moment, and I came back at the uh, the trucker story. Wow. Yeah. I missed that in my first read-through. Huh. Good for them. That'll teach you. What a fool, Metroids. What a fool, Metroids. <laughs> I don't think we need to question that one. Yeah. All right, this is Suede with the Drowners at I number one. I couldn't come up with anything better. So. <laughs> this is uh, this, the song that, also, that uh, 
The song that arguably kick-started the Britpop movement also pioneered that glam rock meets the Smith sound that kicked off the countdown. The Drowners has everything that epitomizes this genre. It's got swirling, noisy guitar, a stomping beat, a swooning chorus, and a metric fuckton of androgyny. Uh, lead singer Brett Anderson drops in a few overt references to gay sex, and he paired that with an interview where he called himself a bisexual man who'd never had a homosexual experience, and boom, Britain had a new indie sensation. Because despite the ensuing controversy, that actually works as a publicity tactic there. And that's why Suede made two videos for this song, one for the UK market with a cast of extremely androgynous characters hanging out, and one for the US, which is just the band performing in concert. Kind of like it, the first video for Wicked Game. Bringing it back to the beginning, David Lynch directed the first one. It was just him playing in concert, but it looked like a David Lynch movie. And then the second one was sexy. Yeah, writhing around on a beach. Mm -hmm. And Chris Isaac was, was uh, real, real turned on by it. Oh, man, this is the best yeah. day of my life. Oh. She put her boobs on me. I knew I learned to write songs for something. I can't wait for all my other big hit songs. I thought all it was going to be was <laughs> meetings with fat guys in, in rooms with wood paneling. Uh, this is better. In, uh, so in 1992, 93, about when Suede came out, a, bu a buzzed about English pop band drawing their sound from distinctly English influences was a phenomenon that hadn't happened in quite some time. And uh, soon bands like Blur, Oasis, and Pulp were following in Suede's footsteps. The Drowners was voted single of the year in both the NME and Melody Maker, the two top British music magazines, which I don't think either of them exist anymore because print media is dying. Uh, Melody Maker had actually done a cover story on the band before they'd even released any music or gotten a record deal, which must be nice. Uh, Suede's self-titled debut album entered the British charts at number one and won the 1993 Mercury Music Prize, which Ooh. is sort of like if there was only one Grammy and it was for album of the year and it was an actual cash prize. And also, like, if a Grammy was actually viewed as a marker of quality. Hunter, were you going to say something before? Yeah. Well, no, it was when J.D. described that... that The fat guys in the panel room? Yeah, I think he was describing his orgies. <laughs> that he was talking about earlier. Yeah, except he left out the bird masks. Oh. Yeah, well, they take them off for Chris Eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be anonymous, but... You yeah. know, you know your buddies well enough. You know who's who. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, uh, back to Suede. Back to Suede. Uh, Suede's classic lineup only lasted for two albums. After which, guitar whiz Bernard Butler decided that Brett Anderson was intolerable and left the band. No British band has ever had an intolerable lead singer. And no British band has ever had a fractious relationship between the lead singer and guitarist. Yes, never. That was the first time. Yep. Hmm. And to be fair, Brett did end up addicted to crack. But Brett... Uh, That's fair. Yes. But Brett refused to surrender. And oh. he's still... Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, threw in a little Easter egg for you there. <laughs> and then uh, pointed it out. <laughs> the best Easter egg hunt ever. Yeah. Hey, kids. Here's the, the best one put I hit. Little, put a little right Easter here. egg hunk for you. Yeah. See that egg on the ground? It's under the garden gnome, see? <laughs> Check your pocket. 
I slipped I it in your pocket. <laughs> it wasn't the Easter Bunny. It was me. Now check my pocket. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Brett refused to surrender. He's still making suede albums with Richard Oakes on guitar, who was hired back as a 17-year-old after mailing a demo tape to Suede's fan club where he sounded a lot like Bernard Butler. And he was also on crack. Oh, wait, no, that's not... No, that was Brett Anderson. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. To be fair. Very well, fair. Well, the to be fair was supposed to refer back to Bernard Butler deciding he was intolerable. To be fair, he, he was hard to work with. Right. He was on crack. And he and, was also on crack. And I believe heroin mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, cocktail. Sure. Yeah. Eight ball. Yeah, is that what gonna... eight ball is? No, eight ball is cocaine and speed, dumbass. Oh, I thought it was it's cocaine and heroin, isn't it? I don't I know. I thought it was I cocaine just... and heroin. I thought it'd be funny if I like sounded like an authority on something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I really don't know what it is. To be fair, it usually is funny when you try to sound like an authority on something. Yeah, because I'm way off base. <laughs> uh, we have fun. All right. I want to wrap this song up. You don't have to like fucking dudes to hear that this is a sexy-ass song to be at number one, and you don't have to be androgynous to load this playlist up on the old Spotify and do some weird sex to your lover. Or what but Steve calls sex. <laughs> that's exactly correct. You sound like an expert on that topic. I I found your videos. <laughs> uh, but you totally could do those things is the point. You can be anybody and fuck anybody to this music. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And also, I want to say, in light of recent uh, Trump administration goings on, (laughs) that trans people are exactly who they say they are, period. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, maybe uh, you just call them people. Yes. But that's, that's sort of like all lives matter. They yeah. are, oh, is it? Yeah, they do undergo a lot of discrimination and need special protections as of right now. I see. Because I, I had a friend that was a dwarf, and yeah. she was telling a story like where people were like, what should I call you? And I said, how about Debbie? Yeah. Because that's her name. Ten years from now, when our society is perfect, right, then right. we could talk about lifting trans protections. But for the next decade, we still need to keep them in line. Before we have our u- egalitarian utopia. Correct. 103-year-old Pres- President Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. He's, Everything's perfect. I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty spry right now. He seems uh, pretty, pretty energetic. Uh, Easy on the eyes. Oh, absolutely. Hachi machi. Um, what did we miss? What did Steve miss, guys? Let me... Here's... I got a list of... Hold on. Let me listen to this one. Because I just... This is R.E.M. Ebo the Letter. Has this got the right feel to it? It's Michael Stipe and Patty Smythe. From Scandal? Yeah. No, no. The other, the... Patty the, Smith. Patty Smith. The, the, the artsy <laughs> punk, one. Yeah. Punk no. poetess Patty yeah. Smith. She's not breaking down the walls of heartache. Bang, bang. This isn't doing it, is it? I don't hear, I don't hear much Never of it. All right. Try, uh, uh, R-E-M, got try uh, I Feel You by Depeche Mode. Is that is that yours? Did you say? Um, no, I originally put the Smiths. How soon is now? Um, but the thing is, Morrissey isn't getting laid, so I don't know if it yeah, fits. It's, but it's it fits better than you any should put other mine Smith on song. Instead. Yeah. 
Right. Oh, yeah, this is yeah, this is pretty good. This is a good choice. Yeah. What's your What's yours, Hunter? Okay. Well, the two things I think of when I hear of Slink Cats, which were briefly mentioned in uh, David Bowie. So why not combine them into Cat People putting out fire by David Bowie from the movie Cat People? Uh, maybe this should have been my 50 soundtrack song. Do you remember when JD got into an argument with Giorgio Moroder yes. about the proper title of this song? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and wouldn't fucking back down? I know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sad I wasn't there for that. Oh, yeah. Giorgio yeah. did us a favor by appearing in something. I couldn't let it go. No, you wouldn't. I like was like, JD, fucking... I forgot exactly what the argument was. What he said, I think he was... Call and he, you, to be fair, you were right. Yeah. Um... But he said, putting out the fire with gasoline, I think was what he called it. Yeah, and I was like, uh, no, it's cat people. It's cat putting people out. putting out the fire with gasoline. No, I think it is uh, putting out the... F no, Giorgio. Yeah. Come it on, went, man. It went on for an uncom uncomfortably long yeah, time. <laughs> I was just like, Giorgio, let me show you where you'll be sitting. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. Oh. I was nervous, too. Oh, yeah, we were all nervous. It's fucking Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. I wasn't nervous. He was a small Italian man who was way older than me. <laughs> I could totally take him if I wanted to. He was super yeah. happy to be there. Yeah. What a nice what Fucking a nice delight. Fellow. Delightful man. I sent him a nice, very nice bottle of wine. And he threw it away because he didn't want to be poisoned by some crazy guy who, whose friend was arguing with him about a song title. Hey, Francesca, look at this crappy wine. He probably only spent like a two or three hundred dollars on it as a wine. I'm throw it away. And at this point, he's more German than anything. Anyways, but he brought the glasses, and that was cool. I wish the I could the sunglasses, I not the... I swear R.E.M. must have a song that's in this genre. Hey, tweet me, everyone. Tweet me and tell me what I'm missing. Hey, everyone, what's oh, R.E.M.'s oh. best fuck song? Oh, this is too slow? Nothing from Automatic for the People is going gonna, is gonna to yeah, be a good yeah. fuck song because that's a real depressing, sad, mournful album. Okay. goes from ache to slink. This is, yeah, this, our Automatic for the People is almost 100% ache. Yeah, okay. Um, what's the Frequency, Kenneth? That's probably the... Uh, their, no, it's a no. horrible song. It's about Dan Rather being tortured or something. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's not, Was it in a sex dungeon? Boring. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to find anything. I thought I knew this this band well. Crush with Eyeliner. No. Nope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's more. That's yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, you did it. All right, good it. job. Good job, J.D. You know what you missed, Steve? Crush with Eyeliner by R.E.M. off their Fuck. Monster album. How Wait could up. I have been so stupid? It was a rock and roll departure from their previous big, or er, from their huge Automatic for the People album, which was more of a, more of an ache. This, and then they were like, well, let's go, let's go slink with this next album. J.D., way to pull back the curtain and give the listeners uh, uh, a view of uh, our process. Yeah. <laughs> Trust the process, what's, everyone. What's next, Dave? Uh, I have made up my mind this evening that my next episode is going to be uh, European Cowboy. Cool. Great. Yeah, it's going to focus on uh, the music of uh, European folks that are really hung up on cowboys. All right. Perfecto. Excited. And it's not at all a chance just to get my favorite songs into a countdown before, it, <laughs> before we end. Um, hey, if you're listening to this, uh, when it comes out, check me out at L.A. Comic Con on October 27, 2018. I'm on the Hot Streets panel. There's a show I do a voice for by Brian Weissel on Adult Swim. 
it's weird, and I'm, uh, my voice is my voice. I don't really do a character. And if you're like the rest of us, you will be shocked to find out that L.A. has a Comic-Con. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm going to buy some comic books. Nice. Talk to some comics. Uh, uh, run, run some cons. Yeah. You got it. I'm working on my three-card Monty. Yeah. I like the long con. And also, grab five friends and make a commitment to vote Democrat on November 6th. And give old people rights. And demand provisional ballots if someone says you can't vote. And bring your IDs, because some states are dumb. It's your right to vote. Don't let them take it away from you. Your voice is important. Many people died to bring you the right to vote. So go vote. Don't let their sacrifice be in vain. Your job's got to give you time off. Tell your boss to shove it. you got to go vote for a Democrat man or lady. you got to vote for people who give a fuck. Or failing that... Vote for people who will hurt you less. Today's bumper sent in by Tristan N. Great job, Tristan. Yeah, those were great. Uh, find this week's Yacht Rock playlist by... I don't know put those up anymore. Go to YachtRock.com for a very useful experience. I'll have it on my Spotify if you want to follow me in Hollywood, Steve. Uh, send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate review us on Apple Podcasts. Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. And thanks to producer Matt Brousseau for helping us sound a little better with your better machine. So slinky. Yeah, it is. Good choice. Oh, I should have suggested the slinky theme song, the the slinky ad. (laughs) Wait, real quick. Am I still recording? No. I think so. Okay. Uh, Never mind, okay. You couldn't find it? Okay, cut, cut it. Cut, cut the tape. Show up. It's a good show.